You're now listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast, broadcasting from sunny Orange County, California. Filmmaker, journalist, and film historian, Paul Booth. Aloha. Welcome to Talking Pictures with Paul Booth. Really excited to be here today. Well, actually, I'm always excited to be here, but today our guest is somebody that I've known since 2004. Uh, She was actually my first boss on a Hawaii PA gig at Diamond Head Studios. Welcome, Renee. How are you today? Renee Confair, how are you today? Great, Paul, and it's wonderful to be in contact, and I love your show, and thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for the kind words. You know, uh, so much of the stuff that I uh, use for the show, I put in from, you know, stuff I learned working with people like you or at on gigs or, you know, especially The Descendants. We'll get into that um, a little bit later, but... Today we're going to be talking about The White Lotus, which is on HBO Max, everyone. It's a limited series shot on Maui. Renee has worked as a production supervisor, production manager, location manager. She's done such films as uh, Battleship, Godzilla, uh, Cameron Crowe's Aloha, The Descendants. Um, Let's see, there's so much stuff. You can look it up on Internet Movie Database wide range of topics we'll speak about today and um so we'll jump into it here renee the first question is you know because i still to this day couldn't really tell you if someone asked me so i'd love to know what exactly does a production supervisor do okay so a supervisor is a non-union production manager for the most part um it's kind of morphed over the years but a supervisor i'll use myself as an example and there's some great ones out there that become DGA production managers. But you pretty much are um, the first call from the studio or the producer to see if the show can be done here or South Africa or New York. And and you pretty much work with the budgets and and assessing out if, if there is the elements to make the show happen where they want it to happen. If we use Hawaii as an example, is the timing, will there be enough crew? Is it cost effective? Can they afford to come? and then what kind of cast, and you get into all the elements, and then the supervisor uh, will suggest or rec- you know, uh, names of crew they may want to hire. Um, pretty much that's the overview, and it's a, it's a stepping stone position that, you know, coordinators, you see more of them as supervisors now, but originally it was, it was really, um, I came up locations and it was, it's more production management. Thank you for that great answer, by the way. So that kind of leads to, so what is the actual real difference? Because you hear unit production manager, you hear line producer. How does that, how do all these differ? Well, again, it depends on the size of the show. You know, small shows, they may not need as many of those titles, but let's let's use a big show and you need everybody, as many people as you can get. And the unit production manager, he's all about what it costs. He's handed a budget or he helps create the budget and they pretty much, that's the Bible for how much the art department can spend or transpo or, you know, you take from here to give to the stunts. And his whole world is about the money and the logistics. The line producer is actually in the field. The UPM ends up going and meeting him pretty much every day, opening the set. But the line producer's the one actually in the firing zone on the set. So they're very compatible. Line producer is above production manager, and supervisor is uh, works for the production manager. Uh, interesting. Is it 
is just the producer the bottom line on how those do it, it sounds to me like something that could get very i don't know crossed over or uh well you ask a great question typically very they're very clear on your marching orders and who you report to and so it, there really isn't crossover and you always report to that person who reports to that next person and then they assess the information as, and as you know it all happens really fast <laughs> beyond fast right <laughs> uh -huh. lightning speed yeah i would say lightning um i can say renee was also uh my boss on the descendants and i i can just say when you said that lightning i can remember the times that i saw you was just and you had that big folder and you just had that look like not coming through in a bad way or like you know but just you know you were you were you were ready for what's next and i just remember really like noticing that just being like oh this, this is interesting your renee is so um i don't i guess i calm quiet you don't have an overbearing personality and and every time i've seen you so i just really liked seeing you in that zone the white lotus by the way uh in your words what is the white lotus about well it's a dark uh comedy it's kind of a satire on the hotel world where your rich guests come to town and you know it it pays homage to the poor people who have to deal with them um and you know and then there's a, the murder mystery of it all so it and there's humor and and that's kind of my overview well you know i, I don't know whenever people are you're hearing this uh there's four out so far so i was mm -hmm. um Obviously, I'm jazzed about the next two, so we are letting you guys hear this, and the show is not complete, so I know that obviously the opening, not a spoiler, does allude to that it's murder mystery, um, and so yeah, so thank you for that, Renee. With the White Lotus, I, I read this online, and please let me know if I don't have it right, that this was shot during COVID? Correct. Okay, so... How, what, I mean, what was that like? I mean, I know it's uncharted territory, hasn't happened, but I mean, just for you was, I mean, White Lotus and you're facing a pandemic. What, what was an interesting challenge? Uh, challenge and torture. It was, I, I took the two shows right when Hollywood reopened because I wanted to get on the cutting edge of how it's possible to work during COVID. So started off on a Netflix show and then HBO uh, came to Hawaii for these six episodes, which was two months of filming, and we're here for almost four and a half months. And it, as you know, it's hard enough to make a show. And by the way, it was very much enjoyable working with you on Descendants. So thank you for that. Um, uh, truly, it was really great. Uh, the HBO show wasn't like Descendants. That was just the dream job. HBO, uh, HBO was the challenge of the job. And it was really... Um, the hardships of everybody being fearful for their lives, quite frankly, because everybody was working in the unknown. And the extent of COVID protocol, HBO had their own. The CDC unions uh, were at a, at a certain level and HBO stepped it up. So it hit everybody hard between testing, being in a bubble. And what I learned was a psychology lesson. You can't put you cannot put a crew of 140 together for two months and expect everybody to be sane. They start breaking. And and then when the hotel let the guests come in, <laughs> oh, 
oh, that was a down, downward spiral. But, you know, you get through it, you find a way, you make a way. But the show was wonderful. Mike White is a genius. He's so funny. Uh, the producer had worked with him, on, I think, three times prior. Uh, uh, Mr. K-Mine, Mark K-Mine. And it was a really great group, um, Dave Bernard. They all brought so much to the table, but it was just so hard. And you were always understaffed because if somebody had a stomach ache, they were sent to the room and they didn't usually get out of the room for four or five days till they cleared a couple of tests. So you're always understaffed under a lot of pressure Whoa. and changing schedules because of it. Wow. As, there, as if there isn't enough nightmares brewing. Yeah. Or, yeah. I, I wasn't even thinking about that, right? Because I, I always say it's like the scariest time in the world to sneeze. Um, <laughs> True. You can't. You can't sneeze. You're like, well, you'd be sent to your room. Right. Oh my gosh. So Mike White, of course, uh, um, people would recognize him from School of Rock. He's Dewey, and he wrote School of Rock. Uh, the show is mm -hmm. hilarious. I will say, there's obviously like anywhere the tiny bit of if you're from Hawaii or have lived in Hawaii, there's so many inside things you'll catch. Um, so that kind of leads me to, and I will come back to this COVID thing. Uh, is, was there any form of, and we definitely will not get into this overall as a matter of cancel culture and cultural sensitivity, but just was there something, was there anybody there with some of the cultural stuff? I mean, I've heard that they have advisors for that now. Oh, from the Hawaii side? Yeah, the Hawaii side, yeah. You know, typically, yes, there's usually a, a cultural uh, practitioner of some sorts. And we had a blessing we were, because this show was generated really via tourism and we never left the hotel for the most part. So basically this was back when they were, it was, it was obviously bubbled. So you're, so what you're saying is there wasn't even the unwind crews get to go home for the weekend is what you're saying. Yeah, pretty much. It was, it was September when we started of 2020 and uh, it was exciting because we all got to work again. And how was that? And when the hotel was closed, that was the most amazing part of life. You're at the five star Four Seasons and there's nobody there. Even the front desk wasn't open. We had to order DoorDash because there was no rest. Well, there was restaurants, but on a very limited scale. So that was magical. But the when the hotel opened, which we were 60% mm, through shooting, that was, I'm going to say nightmare. A uh, more generic, politically correct word would be uh, it was extremely challenging um, because now the hotel has guests in it and you're afraid for your life. All right. Okay. Okay. It's a new dynamic. It's no longer just as paparazzi around. No. Right. Okay. Because you mentioned. It's very, you know, yeah, you know, guests that have a lot of money and don't want you in their way. <laughs> Which is ironic to the show. <laughs> Isn't it? It's just very fitting. <laughs> the show is such a riot. I, I'm pretty assuming that's what it was meant to be. I, that's what I kind of liked about it was that I wasn't sure when I was supposed to be laughing. And <laughs> um, not that anything I say, you know, anything I say is my opinion and what Renee says is her opinion. And we're not, I'm not, no one is alluding to, but I felt like, um, you know, when we had been talking kind of about the cultural thing, that's what we were talking about. We were talking about the cultural aspects. Um, he had such a great ear, like as if he was like from Honolulu or something on some of those scenes. So that's why I was kind of wondering what, what degree was their cultural involvement? 
That's what you were explaining. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he has a house on Kauai, and that's where they did the post for this show. He's He did a couple shows here. He's done Brad's Status in Hawaii. He did the end. He also did uh, some of the Enlightened shows. And he just is one of those people that is a kind soul who really hears and listens. So some you know, productions have a dedicated cultural advisor. This one didn't, but they did reach out for guidance, mostly because they didn't leave the property. So that essence of, um, you know, of needing the cultural advisor at the Four season wasn't as critical. That, yeah, you can really see the show has such a personality to it. Um, and that's why I was really, uh, I kind of spaced them out. I didn't want to watch them all at the, and because I was just, I really got into it after this, um, kind of midway through the second one, when I really mm -hmm. was kind of yeah. like, oh, I see where this is. And again, it was just like, is this kind of like a subversive, it almost felt to me like somebody who was from Hawaii was making it and oh. having to appeal to some people who might be watching HBO that are like, hey, is this making fun of our, you know, we go to Maui and we you know, want to talk to the general manager and, you know, that's not a spoiler because you and I know the context. But um, so let's see. So uh, we, we've hit, in and out, we've mentioned The Descendants. That To me, that was one of the most uh, accurate films uh, made in Hawaii. One thing that I wanted to touch on, uh, you had mentioned you're one of the, I, okay, I took it as you're one of the first crew in Hawaii is it feasible can we do it so uh when when you get a script how does this apply to like uh, did you see the white lotus script like years ago or is it just like once they're already there greenlit it's like what stage is it coming to you you know a lot of times we don't get to see the script before we start you know when i was on hunger games it was uh, catching fire um they only send you the hawaii pages and I didn't know what a Katniss was because I didn't read the book and I didn't see the first one. And I'm thinking, what the heck's going on with this show? So you don't, you, you get to see elements like we had, I think, episode one for HBO, uh, White Lotus. But the others were being written while Mike, Mike went over there early and he was writing those episodes up till we were shooting. So, um, yeah, you don't usually get to see much in advance. And, and and also, as you know, a lot of times they keep them as secret. When we did Indiana Jones years ago on the Big Island with the Crystal Skull, um, this uh, script was locked in a safe and only a few people were able to ever read it. I never got to. So you just are told, do this, this, and this, and you don't really know why or how it fits in. Wow, what an interesting place to be. Like you're, that really is hitting me where you're kind of like, you're dealing with and meeting and you're at a you're at this position where ah, that sounds so weird you so you're so you're not allowed to know what's going on in the scene but you have to put everything there for the scene i mean what do you what do you even go off of you just know you're you're looking at it from practical of i have to make sure there's a room chairs and somebody who's gonna take care of you know like you're you're basically just the practicality of providing every aspect but the content kind of yeah so a lot of times even with white lotus i did get to read the scripts on those but you know after you see them in post and because of covid not everybody was allowed on set so i learned a lot just by watching the shows because i knew what it took to get them the elements for them to do what they did during the day but i didn't really see how they performed them so it's always a fascinating process i mean so covid 
something that comes to mind is coverage. So were mm. they just, were you around or did you know if, did it come across to you? Like, were they, would they only have the two actors there for the medium shot? I mean, for, I mean, was it getting that extreme? Well, we knew they were being tested, what, th three to five times a week. So th they were able to have the actors out there. It's just the rest of the crew, because that's zone A, and uh, and the producers and the DP. And so a number of people in zone A. But, like, we're all in a bubble. And at one point, they didn't want zone A having dinner off, you know, off the clock with zone B. You know, it was this struggle. So... They did minimize the extent of crew on set as best they could. Wow. Uh, real quick, uh, could you just tell us real quick the, what the zones are? I've only heard about this. Um, yeah. So I think that's pretty much they stay with zone A, B. You know, when we did Netflix, I think we were doing colors. Um, but A is, is typically the cast and the line producers and the and and you know, the makeup and hair, the ones that have to um, be with the actors. And those people are tested at a, uh, more often during the week. And then there's zone B, and I wish I had my list in front of me, zone C, like zone, zone D never goes to set. Not, that can be the coordinator. That can be uh, some of the transpo people be, um, and, uh, you know, post. So there's the different letters, and you actually had bracelets designating what color you were. Wow. And that, and that reflected, yeah, what day you got tested. And, you know, the COVID now, uh, I believe it's like they add on 15% of your budget because it is so costly. All, oh that, all the PPE That's, and the testing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's enough going on, like you were saying, even with a, no, I'm saying with a, show like the descendants the dream right the on the beach mm -hmm. on base camps mm -hmm. on the golf course um very rare as we both know but for those listening oh my gosh you cannot just walk up to a-list directors and start talking to them which i saw right. going on um <laughs> knowing people's names um uh, any show i did i don't remember anybody like many people above the line saying hi and then your name uh, so with that, I, I want to touch on real quick Godzilla, um, mm. and what challenges come up with when I, I know this was shot in LA, uh, Hawaii, even Vancouver, cause I had mm -hmm. friends on each crew. So mm. what kind of coordinating or involvement do you, do you, do you have with, uh, like another unit or another country or another state like does that how does that ever if at all affect what you're doing affects it a lot usually um well let's use godzilla as an example they did a lot of the work in vancouver and they built their sets and then they they pretty much are so busy shooting that and two hearts did the same thing they're in vancouver and they're shooting then they roll into town and go okay and at hunger games also they go, okay, we're going to shoot in two weeks. When we get there, you guys just have everything ready. And that's what we do. We report in. We get them, um, you know, the art department had like five warehouses. Godzilla was so massive. And you start building the sets and sending the pictures. And then they send people over to to make sure that it is exactly what they and had expected. And 
uh, they fly in, you're all of a sudden you're tech scouting and the equipment rolls in and you're shooting. So that's what we're responsible for. You better have Hawaii up and running and ready to shoot when they land. And so it's a big task because it's a big ask, but that, that's what we do. Wow. Because that, that uh, no pun intended, that movie was so monstrous. And I remember, I think it is. <laughs> so in Godzilla, I remember it was like, I think it was supposed to be Hawaii, but it was Vancouver Airport. And I would just see this going back and forth. And I'd be like, that's, wait, that's Honolulu. That's not, so um, I always really, I just always, you know, I remember in, in the theater, I was thinking like, this is so crazy. Like, how are the crews doing this? And so thank you for all that uh, that you gave us about the White Lotus I know you know there's just a couple of other films that I love to know goodies about. Um, uh, so yeah. I would just love to know, you know, Aloha, Bradley Cooper, Emma Stone. What was that? I mean, is there anything just uh, the basic, I guess, question or just open forum would be, what What would you just love to say about Aloha? What was that like to work on? What was it? What was the experience like interacting with Cameron Crowe or a Cameron Crowe crew? Uh, pretty magical. Cameron Crowe's a genius, brilliant nice his whole team and um you know it was a pity that it got condemned before it really got started because you know there are blonde hawaiians out there and i think that's what he's trying to prove the point and he was allied and you asked earlier about cultural advisors he was he had a very significant cultural advisors on that show some tough people some uh, uh people that you know, uh, walked all kinds of worlds spiritually and so it was, it, that was not just put there by accident. But when you ask about the show, I remember going to The Blessing, and it was uh, in Waimanalo at sunrise. And I was on the beach, and Bradley Cooper showed up, and he turns and he goes, Hi, I'm Bradley Cooper, and shakes my hand. I'm like, you're kidding. And everybody was just so nice and so real, and Emma Stone's a dream come true. And uh, they all just tried their best, and I think they did a great job if people would give that show a chance. Right. Good point. Good point. Um, giving it the chance part. Uh, that's that's really cool. Um, so, yeah, Nancy Schreiber, uh, cinematographer, we were talking about the Linda Ronstadt doc and Cameron Crowe was in it. And I was just like, what was it like to talk music with Cameron Crowe? Like, mm. What, you know, awesome working with what? And uh, she was just like, he's so nice. He's so kind. He's so mellow. Like. Um, I just always hear that. I love uh, hearing that. Um, and so Emma Stone, you, I mean, she's so amazing. Is it just like, you kind of just yeah. like pinch yourself when you're going to work each day, even yeah. if you're not interacting with her? Yeah, just to watch them and just, you know, the masters don't pull the nonsense of the people coming up the ranks. And those, Bradley Cooper, Emma Stone, that whole cast, they were just the greatest. It's, as you know, it's a team sport. Uh, from cast to crew to everybody, producers, and and so that that says it all there. So you just don't get any better. They're just really fabulous. Oh, uh, excellent! Thank you for sharing that because we're um, let's see, Snowden was another one. Mm -hmm. uh, any comments mm -hmm. or significant lessons from Oliver Stone? Oliver Stone. Um, Oliver Stone is a different kind of personality altogether uh, certainly to be revered I think it was a very tough film to make because the American money pulled out wouldn't let them make uh, they, the, all the sponsors they, and so they had to take the film to Germany primarily is where it was shot 
and uh, the European countries actually ponied up the money. So, the um, and you know, from the American aspect, you wondered if you were going to be blacklisted for working on the show. Um, I know wow. my father told me not to do it because you really wondered where could this go? Is this like uh, what happened, you know, McCartney era? And what could that happen to us? And but making the show, it was a good purpose. Again, great people and doing it on a shoestring budget because, you know, those indies uh, story that should be told. And Shailene Woodley was in it and she's just dynamic. And and um, yeah, what did you think of the story? Oh, amazing. I mean, and I actually saw it with our producer who edits this uh, when I was in Vancouver. He was, mm. I was just like, George Gordon-Levitt and Oliver Stone, we got to see that. You know, like you said, <laughs> will it be a blacklist thing? Will it be a... I, I never even thought about that for a crew, and that is a really interesting point. Wow. Mm-hmm. Ama- I mean, amazing film, and, you know, mm-hmm. I couldn't, like you said, that's a great way of putting it. Oliver Stone's a... A unique personality. I mean, you just, you know mm-hmm. how it is. You just hear everything under the sun about working with him, or it's almost like the, you know, genius, but, you know, I don't know. I had a transportation captain one time that was just like, oh, he's such a pain, but he's just so brilliant. That's why people deal with him, you know? <laughs> like, I think we he's, all kind of know. He's it's so like, brilliant. Yeah, it's Oliver Stone, you know? So I think there's probably some of that where, like, yeah, they're not going to just turn, they're not going to get rid of me, but. I don't know. It's obviously a debate when you need to be cool and um, not Snowden. Um, yeah, that's just a great film. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, I love him. And that was, yeah. again, you got to, have you worked with Shailene Woodley more than, or was it just Snowden and the Descendants? Um, I'd like to think there was a third one, but it's not coming to my mind. And she was coming to Hawaii quite a bit. Uh, I'm going to just say it was those two, but I stay in touch with her mom. And like you saw on Descendants, she was just becoming somebody back then. But she's still that lovely person who's never lost, uh, you know, the importance in life. And she's a big ac- advocate for for environmental things and just what's fair and just in the world. So um, I don't have enough compliments for her. Oh, that's excellent. That's good to know. I mean, that's really... I don't like to say the next generation like I'm Mr. Elderly, but um, I love knowing that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, thank you, Renee, for that info about Snowden. Um, I, I really love talking about all these films, and I know you have such a wealth of experience. So what I'll do is I'll just we'll wrap it up with one or two quick questions. Okay, so do you have a film that you've done or still want to do? And, and I, I don't necessarily mean like you worked with Cameron Crowe or 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 it went well do you have like a dream genre like how some people like a produ- <laughs> most production designers i talk to want to design a western or a sci-fi like do you have mm. a, a dream that you'd like to be a part of or were yeah no my favorite to work on is romantic comedies um they're fun they're like i've learned with comedy they don't usually shoot nights because you're not funny at night um but you mentioned westerns and my bucket list would be to do a western one day and that because i love horses interesting you're not funny at night yeah so they don't they don't schedule a lot of nights on uh comedies and then i'm like sign me up oh my god (laughs) no night shoots (laughs) um oh my gosh so western okay that 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 that, yeah that would i guess that would be because you'd find old stuff or you'd have to be budgeting 
Uh, that'd be an interesting to, art director to work with, or... Okay, Western. Um, do you have a genre, like, that you've always been adamant about not doing, or that you would never do? Like, and I always pretense this question with, let's just say your mindset it, like, let's say, you know, if you missed a mortgage payment, you know, they took your car away, but just no matter what, creatively, you're, you're not going to be involved with this film. Yeah, horror films. I won't do them. Interesting. Now, do you mean just any kind of horror film, or do you mean, like, extreme? The, I the, believe the, the horror, horror follows you, and uh, people have uh, told stories after they were on a certain show and they were in a certain haunt, a house, and this, the elements they were creating actually follow them to the next location. And I, this is my own opinion, but, you know, when you go back to the Tate murders... And man said years ago yeah and how sad that was but my understanding too is she was in practicing for upcoming film and she had to delve into the dark side of I don't know whether it was horror or whatever and I could have my facts completely wrong but I'm just saying horror bad news I won't do it Wow that's interesting I never looked at it that way I mean I know I saw a documentary with Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman talking about how Shawshank Redemption was just so spooky because it was like an abandoned prison mm. and um, a mental hospital. And Tim Robbins just oh. said he told a story about his son telling him, like, Dad, there's just visiting him on set, just saying there's just something not right. And, you know, him saying, I, don't, I didn't know oh. how to explain it to my son. But uh, Shawshank, and it's like a tourist attraction now out in Mansfield, Ohio. Huh, um, what a great film. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I've always wanted to go to this with my family uh, living outside Cincinnati. Uh, but it's like eight hours away. But Dad and I have always been like 16 hours. Mm. Uh, That's kind of worth Shawshank sets. <laughs> um, yeah, it would have its, you know, it would have its forever memory. You know, oh, like yeah. if you would remember the... Um, uh, where she spun her head around. What was that film? Exorcist. Um, yeah, like that kind of stuff. Oh, no. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, that's heavy duty. <laughs> that would be wild <laughs> just to crew. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, yeah, they test the waters on that. But that's a really great answer, and I never thought about that, the content um, going with you. That's a great answer. Um, so with that, we've been here today discussing The White Lotus, and we went a little bit into the descendants, Aloha Snowden. Um, is there anything that you would like to Uh, okay, so Renee, something that I did want to talk about that was one of the reasons why you're coming on, and I apologize as a host that went off into production land with the conversation, um, is you, you have this uh, card game, this at-home party game. So your, your game, Renee, is Get Crude. That's C-R-E-W-D dot com. Get Crude like the film, mm -hmm. like a film crew. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about this, Renee? I thought it was a great. I thought it was such a cool idea. I loved looking at this website. 
Oh, you're just, thank you so much. It was something that you you take from years of being in the business, and it, I just had this dream one night, and I woke up and said, I'm going to do a card game, and and people are like, well, why would you do that? You're not a game player. But I'm like, I just see this, and I was inspired by a art director who woke up one day and says, I'm going to build a, a bed and breakfast in Bali. We're like, you never even been to Bali. Well, sure enough. He did it. He built his bed and breakfast. It was very successful. He and he came back and beat stage four uh, colon cancer. So, I thought he was my inspiration. So I, I said, I can. I'll just make this game. Anybody can play it. If you're in the film business, it has an extra couple laughs. But we were having um, you know game nights all around places, and it's been played at Sundance with the film commissioners, and and it's it was at the Beverly Hilton being sold, and it's a game where. You know, you're trying to get your crew. So you get five crew, your actor and your director and your genre. And you could be a superhero movie or a crime action, uh, rom-com or a adventure. And so it's just a lighthearted evening with friends. You can get very competitive. You can make it a drinking game if you want. Oh, wow. And mostly it's, you know, like one card says, uh, you, the lead actor goes to rehab. Well, that's based on a true story. So it says minus five million. So you lose some money. Um, you know, another one is producer got seasick filming on a boat. Skip that producer's turn. And then my favorite is, which you would have to answer. Um, so let's say you and I are playing. It says, uh, uh Create a movie topic about the person on your left. Well, since it's only me and you, you would have to come up with a movie topic about me. <laughs> wow. What would you say? <laughs> uh, so I have to create a movie synopsis about you? Yeah, if you're going to make a movie and it happens to be about me, you'd have to... Wow. So you go around the table and each person has to do that about the person next to them and then whoever drew the card picks the best answer and so there's there's like all variations of you lose money you gain cards you tell stories and you have a good time that's the game that is i love it i i would have to just be like uh, i'm not playing that with anybody i've known 20 years um <laughs> I, go um i take the fifth I know, right? Exactly. I always call them witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's such a great idea. You have to make a movie. This sounds like just a riot. I mean, is what's is there a limit? Uh, like when games will say two to five players or what's the, how does that work? Yeah, it's three to eight people. It's more fun the more people. And, and um, yeah, it takes between like, you know, 30 minutes to two hours, depends. An art director helped me create the cards. That was Scott Meehan, who's grand. And another person who, um, you know, had this, we had this wonderful graphic designer who did a lot of work for um, uh, big games like Star Wars and uh, for a, a very big company. And she was a big help. And But, you know, I know how to make movies. I don't know how to market games. And so it's a big, big, big challenge. And we were doing really great. And then COVID hit. And then we got smacked back like a lot of people. But um, working on a big comeback. Oh, that sounds well. Well, good luck with that. I mean, I mean, really good luck with that because that's, um, yeah, the amount of things that this thing hit, right? I mean, I can say um, there was a small time where I just thought, if we can't get guests, if stuff's not being made mm. and film festivals aren't happening, mm. you know, what are we going to do here? So, yeah, that is, this game does sound like a drinking game, actually. 
You get you get more creative. <laughs> yeah, that. Oh my gosh, I love it. Do you have anything where you know, like, the game's been played in this many states or this many countries, or like, have you gotten it to a film crew in London or something like that? The game's definitely been played um, in England, uh, Vienna, Netherlands, so a bunch of European countries, probably. 30 of 50 states and um, we didn't venture much out of the USA and Europe um, and and then it started becoming and it was a play yet like I mentioned with the film commissioners at Sundance um, Film Fest which was pretty cool and we were doing some film festival things and that was great but like you said now film fests are online and you can't do that so you know everybody's re reinventing and that's the beauty of life this film festival online and like you're saying reinventing um, so with that, we'll, we'll just go into wrapping up here and we, we thank you so much for the time, Renee. It's, uh, it's been nice to kind of also catch up while we're doing this and, um, thank you for joining us, uh, for the White Lotus, which you guys can find on HBO Max. Is, is there anything else you'd like to wrap with, Renee? I just wanted to thank you, Paul. It's really been a pleasure and, and I've enjoyed knowing you all these years and your great inspiration. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. Aloha. Have a great day. All right. Well, we want to thank Renee Confair for joining us for that great conversation. You guys can check out The White Lotus on HBO Max, currently streaming. All right. Well, that's going to do it for Talking Pictures with Paul Booth. You know our motto, whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening, make sure and watch a good movie. Aloha. Thank you for listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast. Real conversation and movie-induced inspiration.